Hi everyone, this is the Tech Transfer Talks, a new podcast series of ASTP. Your host is Andras, and my guest is Amanda Zeffman from Cambridge Enterprise. Amanda, you're head of consultancy services at Cambridge Enterprise. Can you briefly introduce the company and your department? Cambridge Enterprise is the commercialisation arm of the University of Cambridge. And it was uh, set up in 2006 as a wholly owned limited liability company of the University of Cambridge. And the main reason for doing that is to be able to carry out commercial activity or commercialization at arm's length from the university, which has charitable status. So to reduce the financial or legal liability potentially. Now, consultancy services itself is a currently a team of eight people dedicated to helping facilitate consultancy between the university staff, so for example, the academics, and external organisations. So those external organisations may be large corporates or NGOs or even just individuals, so a whole range of different external organisations. And what's your history with Cambridge Enterprise? I've been at Cambridge Enterprise for coming up to 12 years now. But when I started, there were only two of us. And now, as I said, there are nine of us in the team. Really, as a reflection of the increasing level of activity coming through our office, partly due to us doing a lot more proactive internal marketing, raising the profile of why consultancy is such a valuable tool for generating impact from research, but also down to also some external factors. So, for example, when there have been some economic issues locally or regionally or you know within the world at a particular time we've often seen external companies you know get rid of whole departments and want advice from a single individual academic to almost replace that department so you know there are many different factors as to why activity levels may change what services do you offer to researchers at the university of cambridge our policy is that academics have Two options if they want to do consultancy, they can do it completely in a private capacity. But if they do it in a completely private capacity, they're not supposed to use any association with the university. So in theory, that means no university email address, no headed paper, if anyone even uses headed paper anymore, and make it very, very clear that this is being done privately. They would also have to arrange their own professional indemnity insurance and public liability insurance. And they would obviously have to do all the contract negotiation and financial administration themselves. So the other option is to come through my team, to come through Cambridge Enterprise for consultancy support. And if they do this, there are many benefits to doing that activity. So, for example, we will obviously do all the negotiation, do all the financial administration. They um, are covered. The work that they do is covered by professional indemnity public liability policies. We can advise on pricing. So effectively what we're doing, so what Cambridge Enterprise Consultancy Services is offering is managing risk for both the university and the researcher but also just making it much easier for the researchers to do consultancy, thereby increasing the opportunities and the chances of all the benefits that can potentially arise from consultancy happening. Consultancy has a broad meaning. How do you define it in the university context? 
We um, define it in its purest form as being the application of existing knowledge, skills, expertise from research to solve an external organisation's or a third party's particular challenge. And that is in its purest form. Now, in reality, often there's a sort of sliding scale between pure consultancy and research. So in fact, consultancy in its purest form may be things like sitting on a scientific advisory board, giving pieces of ad hoc advice related to a client's specific question. But it could also be things like maybe analysing some of the client's samples and providing some data analysis, or in in some organisations, access to facilities and expertise that goes along with those facilities could also be classed as consultancy. Other things that we see, especially from arts, humanities, social science faculties, are development of bespoke training courses that are very specifically developed for, again, an external client-specific needs. And, you know, even appearing on a a television programme, for example, we have, you know, several academics who do that, who provide advice into development of a programme and actually delivery. That can also be consultancy. So there's a whole range of things. But the great thing about consultancy is it's something that all researchers are able to do, irrespective of what their research area is or what level of seniority they're at because most researchers if not all will have expertise knowledge and skills from the research that they're doing particularly for example arts humanities social sciences where perhaps options to commercialize in the more traditional ways such as filing patents licensing patents for example are perhaps less likely consultancy is a really viable alternative for them as well so now it's clear what consultancy is, but why should the university give importance to it? Well, there are a number of, of wide-reaching benefits. So for the researcher themselves, for the university, for society in terms of societal impact and also the economy. If you look at various studies that have been done, you know, certainly in the UK over the past 10, 15 years into business university interactions, all really highlight that consultancy is one of the simplest, most effective and most efficient ways of transferring knowledge, you know, with application from the university outside, thereby leading, for example, to significant um, increase in the economy, benefits to the economy. It's also a very effective way of transferring expertise from research into industry and government. But at the same time, it's also a really helpful tool for developing skills, transferable skills of researchers. So only a very small proportion will actually, of researchers, so for example, postdocs, research associates, will actually remain in academia. So for them, consultancy, so, you know, exposure to companies, to governments, to NGOs, for example, gives them really some really valuable skills um, and transferable skills and also access to potential career opportunities. So I think it's potentially very valuable in that way. Additionally, it's a really great, simple way of starting off a much longer term relationship. So because, you know, potentially it's quite, could be quite low risk, could be low investment for an organisation. Actually, it's a great way for two sides. So, for example, the university and the external organisation to get to know each other better. 
for example, many of our consultancies lead on to research collaborations or acquisition of equipment, PhD studentships. And a consultancy is a really good way when two sides haven't really worked together before, just to start off that initial relationship. So that's, um, you know, one of the more general benefits. Obviously, it can bring in additional income. And that, depending on your university's policies, may differ in terms of how that's distributed. So, for example, in our situation, because consultancy is classed as outside the course of employment, it means that our academics can actually take their money personally. So it's, you know, a great morale boost. So, for example, if salaries are not considered to be that high, it can be a great way of boosting morale. But actually, they also can have the opportunity not to take that money personally and to waive their right to that. Money can then be returned to the department and used uh, or to the university, donated back from us and used, for example, for staff retention, to attend conferences, to maintain equipment. And actually, a significant proportion of academics will choose to do this. They don't want to take it personally. They want to use it really to be able to retain staff and do other things and you know really help the university's cause and, and what they're doing at the university. Additionally, it can mean, for example, equipment that's potentially just sitting there not being used can bring in money for the department. So in terms of financially, it can bring, it can bring many benefits, but it isn't all about the financial side of things, as I've said. It's a great way of exposing researchers to opportunities and to skills, to learn skills. It can often lead on to much bigger, further relationships, as I mentioned. But additionally, it's a great way of researchers trying out all their wonderful ideas and theories that they've come up with in their research in real life practical situations so it can help validate their ideas and their theories and again you know we have many examples of where we've seen that happen so where perhaps with a slightly more research element to the consultancy a project's been carried out we have made sure for example that in our consultancy contract that we are able to retain the right to use any knowledge skills expertise acquired in the performance of the services for research and teaching purposes, you know, the ultimate main aims of certainly our university. And that means that researchers doing consultancy can often get validation for what they're doing in terms of research. So it can be really, really powerful. And then finally, certainly again in the UK, with being able to demonstrate impact become increasingly important for various government metrics and surveys and studies that have an an influence on how much money is then returned back into the university. It's been really important to be able to demonstrate impact and of course consultancy is one of the most simplest and effective ways of or tools for generating impact in relatively short timescales. So again, you know, if it does fit the various criteria, it can be used to perhaps write impact case studies or to input into various statistical surveys and so on. I'm happy you mentioned impact because for every TTO it's crucial to demonstrate impact. How do you measure impact in consultancy? And is it easy? How do we measure impact? Sometimes it's difficult to show. You know, if you've just got someone who's doing an advisory board, theirs is just a piece of the puzzle. Well, what I've done is I've done a study asking people who did consultancy like a couple of years ago what it led to. So I've got some nice examples of money in kind, like 20 million resulted two years, at least 20 million resulted in kind as a result of those projects. And I don't mean payment for the consultancies, I mean like in research collaborations or studentships examples. 
case studies. Like how many, what did that actually do? What did that piece of consultancy do? Mostly that's that's how we would show impact. So it's clear that consultancy has significant impact and it can be measured somehow. Still some TTUs, and especially the small ones, might find it difficult to justify consultancy support services, let alone to have a separate unit for it. How do you think they could argue in favour? The main reasons of actually having a support unit to help our academics do this activity is it's a way of managing potential risks. So, of course, there are a number of risks that could arise from researchers doing consultancy. You know, the financial risks, there's legal liability risks, there's reputational risk. So if you can imagine if, if a researcher went out and advised on building of a bridge. For example, the bridge collapsed. They were actually doing it in a private capacity, not in the university's name. But the company that had commissioned the work had seen that this professor had, in their mind, had asked this professor to do this work because they were part of this university. Something goes wrong, the university could be held out as being liable and responsible. So what it means is, in part, if you have a managed support service that has... You know, people who are experienced in negotiating terms puts proper contracts in place, is able to advise the researcher on how they should conduct the consultancy, the sort of things that they need to do to make sure that both sides are aligned about what is expected, then you're providing a level of mitigation of risk for both the university and the researcher. You are also, if you are providing, for example, support through contractual or financial administration, you're also making it so much easier for them just to get on and do the piece of consultancy. And if you make it easier for them and and more practical for them to be able to do it, they're much more likely to do more of it and therefore generate all the benefits that can arise from it. In addition, and again, it does depend on institution. In our case, if a consultant chooses to channel their work through our support function, it means that the work is covered by university professional indemnity and liability policies. And again, this may vary according to country. But again, that provides added protection, added risk management to both the university and the researcher. And in addition, again, in our situation, and again, this will vary according to organisation, if it comes through us because it's managed and because the university feels that the consultancy process is being managed appropriately, then the association that the work has to the university can also be mentioned or linked in a managed way, but it can still be mentioned. Whereas if the academic was to do the work in a completely private capacity, that would have to be made very clear to the external party, no use of university association whatsoever. So what that is doing is it's providing, if you like, access to branding, which, you know, many external organisations, that is what they want. That is why they're coming to a university for expertise. Speaking of brands, how much do you think it counts? Does the Cambridge name bring you more business? Well, it's more the academics because they're so good. I agree the brand is an issue, but I actually think that different universities have different specialisms. And I think if the university plays on what their specialties are, for example, agricultural research, right? Wageningen in the Netherlands is what they do. So I think you've got to capitalise on your key areas that makes you stand out against other places. Plus, you're always going to have academics who are the most known in, in some field or other, even if it's a lesser known university. So I think it's to know who those people are and know what your strengths are and play on those and build local relationships. 
because I think organizations that are local will often want to work with you because it's easier. Does it mean that you actively seek opportunities in the industry to find and match with your researchers? No, no. It doesn't work very well because ultimately the best relationship development is between the researcher and the company themselves and when they've had that initial discussion. A lot of academics, if we get a company that comes to us and says we need somebody, firstly, the description of what they need is too vague or it's too stupid and the academic has not been approached directly. It just doesn't very often work. And most of the time, it's easy to find who the researcher is. So the external company will just go straight to the researcher. They don't want our office expertise, they want the researcher. So I'd say about 90-95% of the time, the researcher comes to us and say, we've been approached. It's not a Cambridge thing because I've spoken to colleagues in other places and they all say, if you've got limited resources, focus your marketing resources internally. Don't do it externally. After 12 years in the industry, how do you see UK's position in academic consultancy? And how do you think it compares to others? I think just by looking at the sheer number of support units for consultancy, the UK, from what I understand and from speaking to the international community, seems to be a bit uh, further ahead in terms of taking the approach of having support units, whether they be embedded within the university or, like us, as part of the commercialisation office, which already is a subsidiary company. Now, I think in terms of the benefits of consultancy, I think as a community, those who have been doing it for a while are starting, you know, like myself, starting to have evidence, if you like, case studies, examples from our community to really demonstrate the value. And we have to make sure that we're getting that message out there. So, for example, one thing that we have done is develop a training course for our researchers, which basically highlights all the issues to consider when being a consultant um, and, for example, how our managed support service, Cambridge, can help them. Um, And we actually find that whilst, you know, the primary reason of doing this is really to manage the risk for the universities and the researchers, additionally, it's a fantastic tool for raising profile of why consultancy is so important and the issues to consider, but also why they would be, why they'd benefit from coming through a support service. In terms of the rest of Europe, you know, again, from the conversations I'm having, I think places are certainly starting to see the benefits, in particular, actually, for arts, for generating impact from arts, humanities and social sciences. So that always seems to be, you know, the questions that I get seem to be more related to how can we use consultancy for that. And now you're sharing your experience by running a course for ASTP about supporting consultancy services. Can you tell us more about what it offers and who it is recommended to? The course is at the moment called Fundamentals of Supporting Consultancy. So in terms of who it's for, I would recommend it's for people who have either recently started a support function and are still finding their way and trying to, for example, set up their processes, uh, refine their policies, get engagement of their researchers to do consultancy, but also for people who are considering it. So perhaps who haven't yet got the buy-in from their senior management to set up a support unit, but who uh, are looking for evidence, for examples, from people who've been doing it for a while, for looking for shared best practice, shared ideas, things that haven't worked, really to just help accelerate the process for them so that they're not necessarily having to start from scratch and just making it an easier process to do. What is the bottom line to provide with support services? I think you need a dedicated person because otherwise it goes to the bottom of the pile. It's got to be a policy decision from from the top. It's got to be 
or from pressure from the researchers wanting to do it. And then once the senior administration or whoever, have, VP for whatever, whatever pro-vice-chancellor has seen actually, this is an activity we want to support, then it has there has to be a commitment because if you just do it as part of all your other things, it's going to go to the bottom of the pile, which is why we have a dedicated unit. Finding a dedicated person can be challenging. How would you convince someone to choose consultancy and how is it different from other areas of tech transfer? It's quicker and we work with so many more people. We're working with 100 and 180 different academics in a year. And then, you know, the next year you're working with some of the same plus 180 different, you know, loads. So we work with a lot of pe- different people, more so than in the technology licensing or the seed funds area, for sure. So after all these years, what motivates you? What keeps you in this business? It depends what your values are, right? So for me, just being able to see, and I think consultancy is a major advantage, working consultancy is a major advantage, at least at our university where we cover all subjects. Because actually... We are working with so many different academics from so many different subject areas, doing so many different types of things, that from a personal point of view, it's so interesting just meeting different types of people and hearing about all the different work that they're doing. So that's interesting. And that never gets boring, ever. I enjoy meeting people, and obviously a large part of the role is actually about getting to understand both external customers, but also internal customers, so your academics, and what makes them drive and why they're doing what they're doing. And then actually, I love building a team to be able to do a very good job and to help others. So obviously, you know, what my team is effectively doing is making it easier for research to get out from the university to have benefits in society. So if we can do that in the most efficient and effective way, then to me, that's an achievement. So how do I do that? I build a team who are very well trained and love their job and are motivated. And basically, in terms of our metrics and our results, it shows that we're always improving and making changes. So I think and I think actually a large element of me enjoying it is also doing this international promotion and of why consultancy, you know, I'm passionate about why I think consultancy is actually such a great tool for getting all the wonderful research that academics do out there. And I love spreading the word. I'm still passionate about it, even after all this time. It's great to see your passion. I wish you a lot of success with your new course. Thank you, Amanda. This was a Tech Transfer Talks with me, Andras. See you next time.